Today I want you to go in your scriptures, if you have your Bibles with you, or if you're using your smartphone or tablet or whatever you may have, I want you to turn to Numbers chapter 13. If you don't have your Bible, that's uh, that's well too. I'm gonna, we're going to have it over overhead so you can read right along with us. Numbers chapter 13. To me, it's uh, I like so many. I, I I try not to call them stories because stories sometimes do, uh, to me depicts a fable or uh, a, a fictionist story. But this is this is a true account. Uh, the, the scripture is true in its entirety unless something, of course, in the New Testament is, is given as a parable. But when we read this account, it's one of the, it's one of those things in, one of those accounts in the scripture that really jump out at me because it's a transitioning point that is, it's leading up to a transitioning point. Moses as we get to to this portion of Numbers chapter 13, as we get to this portion of Scripture, we find that Moses, uh, Moses, he leads the people of God, Israel, which is a depiction of the church. He has led the church out of the bondage of Egypt. The, they, they've left the flesh pots of Egypt, the slavery. And God has said, I've got a place for you to go. It was actually a relatively short journey. But we find that the children of Israel, uh, through disobedience, they made a decision, if you would. And God allowed them to walk around in circles for 40 years. We call it the wilderness. While all the time, who knows how many times, I, I'd have, I'm sure there's somebody that's calculated this, but I don't know it right off the top of my head. But it's unreal the number of times that Israel may have crawled, may have approached or been in the vicinity of their crossing point to cross into what the Bible describes or the terminology is used as Canaan land. Now, through the years, and those of you that are older in here remember some of those old songs about Canaan land, the, the, the younger generation. Uh, and let me say this, younger generation, if there anybody, if anybody in Elevation Church or, uh, you know, or any of those churches are watching this, you know, or Passion Church, if any of you are watching any of this, there is a lot to be written using that, that, uh, example of Canaan land. Now we a lot of the older songs were talking about Canaan land is just in sight and things like that. But I preferred the one my favorite Canaan song was sung by my the the older people's favorite Bihar singer, Vestal Goodman. Some of y'all know who Vestal was. Vessel had her hair up and looked like a looked like a hornet's nest on top of her hair, and Vessel had a white hanky. And Vessel, Vessel, Dot knows who I'm talking about. She's sitting over here bouncing her head up and down. Vessel, Vessel, and all the happy Goodmans, as they were called, sang a song. I'm living in Canaan now. Egypt was once my home. I was a slave. Helpless and sinned in Rome, love like to crave. I forgot the next line, but it goes on to say, I'm living in Canaan now. You see, a lot of, a number of years ago, a lot of people looked at Canaan and they, or, and still today, they think of Canaan as being the promise of God that is 
laying out there somewhere and uh, it's not obtainable and it's not available. But in the reality, and I'm getting way ahead of myself in this this morning, the reality is, is when we enter into a relationship with God through Christ, through the, His Son, Jesus Christ, we're, we're not looking for Canaan land. We are living in Canaan land. Because we are living in the promise of God. Now, yes, I'm looking towards heaven. I've never been there. Now, I've read stories of people that have, uh, that, that say, that claim, and I can't dispute that, but they, there's this one woman that she says she's been to heaven like 30 some times, and I don't know, I'll just be frank with you, I've never been to heaven. I really don't know what it looks like other than depictions that have been painted in our minds, you know, through words of songs and scripture that we've read. But I've never been to heaven. I know it's there. I'm confident of that. I don't know what exactly it looks like and how it's going to be when I get there. But, but, but understand that, that the, that heaven in itself is not in reality the full promise of God because the promise of God begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm not living my life. I hope you're not living, if you're in this room or you're watching and you're a believer, I hope that you're not just living your life with, with, and Paul said it, he said, if in this life we have hope alone, uh, we only have hope in this life alone, that we're of most men, miserable people, but I have great hope in this life. It's not about, I'm just, I'm just gonna sit back and I'm going to try to hold on and just wait a little longer, please, Jesus, until, until you come and get me. I'm not wishing I could die. In fact, I'm ready for the rapture, but I'm not necessarily hoping for the rapture because I am enjoy living in the presence of God that He has given me in this life to live in. Is my life perfect? Absolutely not. Is your life perfect? Absolutely not. Do we have bad days? Yes, we do. Do I have bad days? Yes, I do. My wife has even more bad days than I do because she's married to me. But understand this, understand this, the the joy of my salvation is not waiting to occur when I get to heaven. The joy of my salvation is my strength now. Canaan is not some faraway land, but Canaan is dwelling and walking in the promises of God. Let me just go to Numbers chapter 13. Begin reading at verse 23. Let me, let me, let me, I gotta get reading here because I'm running out, time's passing quickly. Let me give you the background. Moses is ready. Moses and the children of Israel, the church, remember, they're getting ready to enter into Canaan, the presence of God, if you would. Now, here's what, here's the scene. They have chosen spies, and they have chosen spies to go over in the, the land and to spy out the land of Canaan. Okay? Those spies are to go over and check things out, and then come back and bring what should be a positive report to Moses about what lies ahead in the promise of God. And then they're going to prepare to take all the people over into the Canaan land. 
So Numbers chapter 13 is the account of the spies that went into Canaan. It, the Bible says when they reached the valley of Eshcol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. I want you to get the picture of this. The grapes, the cluster of grapes, you know, for us, we go, if you, I mean, if you want to go to some of these farm-raised grapes, you know, they're big old, you can go to like Food City or Sam's and you can get these big clusters of grapes. And the biggest one you see may be about this long. If you're raising grapes around your house and you have a little cluster of grapes this long and this big around, you've got a pretty good sized cluster of grapes for home-raised grapes. These people, uh, they, they are finding clusters of grapes that are so big that the men have to create a staff, a pole, that goes from one man's shoulder to the next man's shoulder, and they're being suspended. You know, it is, you know, Jews are, Jews typically are known to be short people. I like Jews. You know. But, but even, even, even short people can, can, even if they were short people like me or my, my beloved wife, which is shorter than I may, if I may point out, but, but even at that, you, you're talking about clusters of grapes that are three or four feet long. Now, if you've got clusters of grapes that are three or four feet long, in my imagination, I imagine one grape being about the size of a softball. And they're carrying grapes and they're carrying the pomegranates. And and that place was called the Valley of Ishko because the cluster of grapes that the Israelites cut off there. And at the end of 40 days of searching out this place. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron... And the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Haran. And there they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them. Listen to this. They not only gave them a report, verbal or written, I'm not sure. But these were trusted men that were trusted to be spies. And they come back and they bring them a report. They not only brought them a report, but they showed them... The grapes. Now that doesn't count what they've already eaten over there. Now I, I don't, I, you know, if you want, if you allow me for just a minute, I had a friend of mine. He's passed away now. He was my pastor for a number of years and uh, a Sunday school teacher, real, real instrumental person in my life. He said he believed that they grew taters so big in Esco. that you could go out. He said he had a dream one time about tater because he loved taters. That means potatoes if you're. You know, not from around here. He said they grew, he said he dreamed they grew taters so big that he said he went out, he went out into the garden and he uncovered one tater and he said he ate on that tater for years. He'd just go out and cut him a slice off of it. That tater was so big. These guys ate, they saw it all. They saw everything was big in the land of Eshcol. And they come back and they bring the report and they bring the grapes and the pomegranates and maybe they even brought a big potato. Who knows? And they gave Moses this account. 
They said, we went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. They show him the display. They said, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak. The descendants of Anak. The kinfolks of Goliath. The giants, if you would. Now here's what I want to preach to you. I want to preach to you. I reworded this last night. Late, I was working on this and I reworded it. I did have this title, Getting Over Your Butt. But I changed that to getting past the butt with one T, mind you. Moses and Aaron had already received the promise of God, although they didn't reside in the promised land. They, everything God, everything God had promised Moses, everything was happening. Everything was there. Everything was before them. You see, sometimes in our life, we seem to forget that God promises things and we sit back and we wait on it. You know, when God promises something, if, if it's genuinely a promise of God, and, and it's especially if it's a promise, and, and we, sometimes, sometimes we all will receive maybe a, a, an inspiration in our spirit, or we'll receive somebody who will bring us a prophetic word, and the Bible tells us to, to, to test the spirits of God, and, and we're to identify whether a prophet is a sound prophet or not. But when we read the Word of God, and when we, when we read those words like, yeah, God says, I'll make you the head and not to tell. When God say, when God says that I, I, I've made you to prosper and to be in health even as your soul doth prosper, understand with me this morning that what God has, when God has ordained something like He did with Moses and Aaron and all the promises that He gave them, then those promises, even though we may not have with our eye witnessed them being fulfilled yet, they're still as good as done and we are still walking and living in the promise of God even before we see it occur with the natural eye. We must have that much confidence in our God. We must have that much confidence in our Lord. Now these spies go over into the land of Canaan. And as they go over there and they spend 40 days. 40, does that 40 ring a bell? 40 days and 40 nights. You know, uh, you know, uh, the flood rained upon the earth. Uh, 40 days, 40 days, these spies are wandering around in the land of Canaan. Now they have left a desert. They left a desert place and they went into a place of Canaan. Uh, needless to say, if there's grapes, there must be grape vines. If there's pomegranates, there must be pomegranate trees. If there's huge taters, there must be large tater vines. You know, if there's large tomatoes, they must be large mater vines. You know, you get my drift. They went from a place of desolate, of desolation and they went into a place that was no doubt green and very fruitful. Milk and honey is the way it's described in scripture. 
milk and honey, which, which depicts everything that we can need in life. Not only everything that we could need in life, but it also, if you would, depicts it in a luxurious form, if you would. For it wasn't locusts and wild honey, like, uh, the Baptists had to eat, like John the Baptist, not the Baptist congregation, but it was, it was, it was milk and honey that was flowing. It was the promise of God that was flowing in this land. They begin to see it as we can identify in the word. They begin to not only see it, but they begin to lay hold on it. Forty days in that land, they also, needless to say, common sense would be, would tell us that they consumed it in that forty days. They found everything that God said he was going to do, everything that God had already promised, they found it right before their fingertips, right before their eyes. They actually probably put it in their mouth and digested it. The report was tremendous. They said, Moses and Aaron, what you said, God said is right, that there is milk and honey everywhere in this place. Look at these grapes. Would you like a green one or would you like a purple grape? Would you like one the size of a softball or would you want one the size of a basketball? Would you want a big slice of tater or a little slice of tater? It doesn't matter because the taters are so big in this place. And they begin to display everything that God had provided. And all of a sudden, one or more of those spies used a three-letter word that's a conjunction in the English language. And I'm not a great English student by any means. They used the word but. But. But when it's used in a conjunction, what that actually means, let me let me define that to you in very layman's terms, which helps me to understand. When, when that word but is used in the English language, I could say to my wife, I could say, you know, hey, baby doll, I tell you, you look pretty this morning. You look gorgeous. But you got in two different kind of earrings. What happened when I used that word but? And again, it's a conjunction in the English language. Well, what happens is when I use that word but, all of my compliments, all I'm telling her, baby, you're, you look, you look good this morning, you know. Pastor got a smoking hot wife, you know. He, she, you looking good. But you got on two different kind of ear, but you got on two different kind of earrings. Everything that I just said to her, all the bragging that I just said to her, just went out the window. Okay, I, I could say, I could say, you are the most absolute congregation in all of the Pentecostal Holiness Church, which we're a member church of. You're the absolute best congregation in all of Bluewell, but. You need to do this. You see, when I use that conjunction, when I use that three-letter word, when I use that word, but, what I've just said is, there is an exception to everything that I just said to you. So, so, 
when these guys come back and they're saying to Moses and to Aaron, uh, man, there's the big grapes, there's the pomegranates, there's, there, there's the big, uh, taters, and there's big maters, and there's big cucumbers, and, and, uh, you know, what, whatever, whatever you like, whatever you could imagine, it was there. You know, there's all of the milk, the milk, actually the creeks are made out of milk, you know, and, and, and honey is dripping out of all the trees. Man, this place is phenomenal. It's fantastic. It's just like God said it was going to be. Here, have a grape. Here, have a pomegranate. Uh, but there's a little problem. So what those spies actually did is they said, in spite of everything is there, they, they just diminished, if you would, if, and almost in the in the sense of the person's confidence, Moses and Aaron's confidence, they just destroyed the confidence that had been established in God. Now, we're continually, you and I are saying things or or we're thinking thoughts like, you know, I really know I need to take this next step of faith but I really don't know how things will turn out. Well, if you knew how they were going to turn it out, would it really be faith? Uh, or we'll say things like, I know, I, I know that I need to admit that I'm struggling with this, this part of my life. I, I'm struggling in this part of my life. But if I admit it, I'm afraid what people will say. Or we'll say things like, I know I need to share my faith in Christ with a friend, but I'm afraid to because they might label me. Or could we perhaps say, I know I need to put Jesus first in my finances and, and tithe and give to the church. It's a good place for this to come in, by the way. It's not a tithing message. I said, but I really can't afford to do it. I know I need to end this relationship that I'm in. This this person is not good to me. But if I do, I'm afraid I'll be single for the rest of my life. Yet there's all kind of buts. I know I know that God wants me to fight for my marriage, but the easiest thing for me to do is just to walk away from it. I know the decision I need to make, but I'm afraid I can't live like a Christian. I know I need to be saved, but I'm afraid I can't live like a Christian. And I can tell you what, I used that one for years. And I would tell God, I would say, hey God, you know what? I, I, I'd go out and I, I'm in the shed out in the barn at my dad's still standing, still the same old tractors parked in that barn. And I, I would go out there and I'd get down in the dirt and I'd say, okay God, I, 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 listen, I had a potty mouth. I had a potty mouth. I had some other bad habits as well. And I said, God, when I know I can, I can live, when I, when I can quit my, clean up my language, when I can clean up my mouth, I can clean up all the other stuff I'm doing, then I'll get saved. But until then, I'm not going to. Guess what? It never happened. It never occurred. It, because it doesn't work that way. You see, we've got to get past the buts. We've got to get past uh, superseding everything that God has for us and eliminate the buts out of our life. These Jews had a promise and, 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 that, and with that promise 
Like these Jews, we will never experience the fullness of God until we quit saying, but. God's got things for us. He's not treating the Jews any better than He's treating us. They are the people of, they are people that were people that had a promise, but we're joint heirs with the Father through Christ Jesus. And everything that, everything that God promised in the beginning of, of humanity as we know it, God's promised it to us as well. And it's all before us and it's all there and it's all available and we can Lay hold on it and we can seize it and we can grip it and we can, we, we can take it to the bank as they say. As long as we don't insert that, con, that, that conditional word, as long as we don't insert that conjunction that says, but I know God has good things for me, but I've been a bad boy. I know God has wonderful things for me, but I've not been such a good girl. I know that God can do all things things, but maybe I'm not, I'm not good enough for him to do these things for. As long as we insert but into the things that God has given us for us to have, the things that he has ordained for us, we will never lay full hold. We will never accomplish everything that God has and wants and will do with us as long as we continue to say, but. So we need to get rid of the but. So, here's the thing. Yeah, there's grapes, there's pomegranates, there's these giants. And if you study this out, you'll even find that they said, oh, in our eyes, we, we, we look like grasshoppers in front of those giants. We were nothing. We were small. We were little. Let me say, the key to this is, we must stop looking at ourselves through our eyes. We must stop looking at ourselves through our eyes and begin to focus on how God sees us. I may be, listen, I may be short. I used to be five foot four. I don't know how tall I am now. You know, I'm getting shorter. I know that. I'm getting bow-legged and all kinds of things is happening. And back when I was 5'4", I, when, listen, when I was in the, in the 70s, when I said, your daddy probably did the same thing. When, when I, in the 70s, I'm, you know, they say all these fashion styles come back. I had the leisure suits with the cuffs rolled up on the outside and your shirt collar went on the outside of the coat. Y'all remember those? And they were straight cut around the bottom. Carrie, I guarantee you, Carrie has a, did you ever have any platform shoes? I had a pair of black leather platform shoes. The, the, this, this part of the sole down here was this thick and the heels were that. Sammy Davis Jr. had nothing on me. For those of you too young to know who Sammy Davis Jr. is, Google it. I am waiting for the day for platform shoes to come back. Okay? I may be short in my own eyes. I'm a little guy in my own eyes. In my own eyes, I, I may see myself as an insignificant pastor or preacher of the gospel. In my own eyes, I, I, and, and sometimes I, st- I struggle with self-esteem sometimes, don't I? 
to be very frank with you. And in my own eyes, I may seem all that, but listen to me. I am confident of this one thing. Not because of my ability, not because who I am, not because of my stature, but I know that God sees me with a different light than I see myself. He sees potential in me, and He sees potential in you, and we got to quit saying but. we got to get past the but and realize that God can take us. He can take nobody and make them a somebody. He can take nothing and He makes them everything. God can use the unusable and use it for He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wisest. And let me tell you what, when we begin to think at, at, not on how we look at ourselves or as we look to ourselves, but this believe and trust that God sees us in a different light than we ever will see ourselves and He sees the potential in us. We're not going to come back from the promises and say, well, we saw this, we saw the grapes, we saw the pomegranates, we saw all the good stuff that was there, but... We saw the sons of Anak. They were big. They were huge. Listen to me. When we realize who God is in our life, when we realize the power of God and His authority, listen, they could have had all of the Anak family over there at one time. I don't know how big the family might have been, but let's consider it was a large family for just a minute. You could have had 50 Anaks over there at one time having a family reunion. And they would have been no match for the power of God. Some little sort Jews could walk into that land under the inspiration, under the ordination of the Spirit of God and they could overthrow those sons of Anak with no problem at all. There was nothing to fear. There was nothing to worry about as they went into Eshcol. There was nothing that they should stop them. But the one thing that did was their butt. Their butt. You see, God has great things for us. He has marvelous things for us to accomplish in His kingdom, in His life. But we gotta get past the butt. We got, sometimes the butt is just the easier way out. I don't know what ran through the minds of these spies. But maybe they thought. Well, if we tell Moses and Aaron that there's giants over there, then we're not going to have to go over there and fight them. Sometimes but is the easiest way out. Sometimes but is because we we, we see ourselves and we, we lack confidence in ourselves. But I want you to know this. I want you to know this this morning as we come to a close. This whole Christian thing. This whole thing of following Jesus, if you would. This whole thing of living for God. It's not about me or you. It's not about me or you. It's, it is a Jesus thing. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and my sins in spite of our butts. Jesus rose from the grave and is resurrected and is seated at the right hand of God. In spite of my butt. Jesus reigns over everything. Including your butt. So just get over your butt. 
Just get over it. You get, get over it and, and, and begin to realize that I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. It's not about me. It's not about what I can do. It's not about my power. It's not by my might. It's not by my, my, my intellect. It's none of that. But, 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 and we see and we've talked about story after story or account after account of it. We, we, but the most classic is, is probably the story of little David as he's out there on the hillside. Isn't that coincidental that, that, that he's a giant slayer? The little boy that, that, that dad didn't even want to bring to the, to, to, to anyone's attention is the one that God would use to accomplish His will. Isn't it weird how that God sometimes uses the most unlikely of people? You know, here I am. You know, uh, somebody, someone put on Facebook yesterday on my my graduating high school class has a Facebook page, and somebody put on there that we're going to try to have a. Last year was would have been our 40th class reunion, and uh, so they want to try to make up for it and maybe have a, a little mini one this year. And there's still people that I meet today from my high school days and my my childhood days, and they'll they'll look at they'll come up to me and they'll say, "What do you do?" Well, I, they said, "What are you doing? What have you, what have you done with your life? What are you doing?" I said, "Well, I pastor a church." Are you the same N.R. Taylor I went to school with? I was a heathen. I was a monkey. I was a rascal. If you get my drift, if I don't have to make any more adjectives there, you know. Well, how did you end up being a preacher? Because one day, one day I was after after two years wrestling with the call of ministry. I had, and I think I've told this before, but I'll tell it again. It, it's funny how it, it, things connect. I, 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 it was it was around, right around Christmas time, and I remember the car that I had. It was a, it was a Chevrolet, so I had a good safe. You know, good running car. It was Chevrolet, and and I and I, I had been over here to Bluefield to the mall to do my Christmas shopping for for my wife and my, my family, and I was alone, and uh, I was driving, and, and the Holy Spirit is just, you know, I'm wrestling with Him. Uh, I know I have the call of ministry on my life, and I kept saying, but. But I can't preach. But I can't do this. But what are people going to think? But and I was wrestling with that call of ministry. Yes, I'd been saved, uh, uh, you know, a few years before that. And I'm now I'm wrestling with the call of ministry. And, and I, I and if you study that story of Gideon, that's a different message. But I was putting out fleeces before the Lord. I'd say, Lord, if you really want me to preach, I know I can't preach. Uh, but you know, I had all my butts in line. And I said, but Lord, if you really, if you really want me to preach, here's something I want you to do. And I'm driving an 83 Monte Carlo Chevrolet. Cause I like Dale Earnhardt. And I have my Dale Earnhardt stickers on that Monte Carlo Chevrolet. And I'm driving back from Bluefield Mall from Christmas shopping. And, and, and the speedometer had not worked in that Monte Carlo Chevrolet 
for about three years. So I'm driving back home. I said, okay, God. I said, I, I said, here, here it is. I said, if you really want me to preach, I said, if you're really, if you're really God and you want me to preach, is this really you I'm hearing? I said, before I get home, I said, you let the speedometer on this car start working again. I showed God. <laughs> Mechanic, mechanically impossible. Hadn't worked in three years. I leave Mercer Mall and I drive back, get on 77 and I drive through the tunnel and East River Tunnel and I drive to Bland County and I go through Walker Mountain Tunnel and I'm approaching the, the, the exit where, in Whiffle where 77 and 81 merge together right there at the, uh, Harley, Harley Shopping Cracker Barrel is. And I, I said to myself, aha! I am not called to preach. And I turned on my signal light and I merged out onto I-81 and all of a sudden that speedometer hand went and I thought Oh well, this this is this is this is something some kind of magnetic field is doing this evidently. And then that thing came right back to like sixty five mile an hour, whatever I was running. And guess what? That speedometer worked all the way home until I pulled up in my driveway and I drove that 83 Chevrolet Monte Carlo until it was falling down. It had it had 185 or 90,000 miles on it and the speedometer never quit working on that car again. You say, so a speedometer called you to preach? No, a speedometer didn't call me to preach. But let me tell you something. God used that broken speedometer in that 83 model Monte Carlo to get me over my butt. And if you and I, if you and I can, get, if we can get over our butts and just let God be God in our lives, it is unreal, it is unreal what He will do in our lives and in His kingdom if we will allow Him. Can you give Him a praise? Because He has something great for you. I want you, if you would, stand to your feet for just a moment. You may be in this room or you may be watching live stream. And I just want to tell you again this morning, it's time to get over your butt. Get past the butt with one T. Quit second guessing what God wants to do in your life. Quit second guessing who God wants you to be. Quit second guessing everything that He has for you. Quit saying, but God. We shouldn't even, we, we, in, in one sense, we shouldn't even put those two words together. If you're in this room and you've never been saved, or if, or if you, if you've let your experience with God grow cold and indifferent, you need to rededicate your life today. Let me, let me tell you this. Erase the butt. Get rid of the butt. Don't, don't say anything. I'd get saved, but I'm afraid I can't do it. 
You can't do it. You need the Holy Spirit to help you. Don't be sitting here saying, I would rededicate myself to the Lord, but I'm wondering what my friends would think. Don't worry about your friends. If they're really your friends, they're going to rejoice with you. Don't underestimate what God is wanting to do in your life. Maybe you're in this room and maybe there's a call of ministry on your life that you've been avoiding. But you've been saying, but I can't do that. I can't preach or I can't teach or I can't uh, I can't sing or I can't do this. Don't allow but to stop you from doing what God wants you to do. Get rid, get rid of the but. Get past the but. And allow God to work in your life. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask you a question this morning. Is there anybody in this room right now that needs to be saved? You know you need to be born again. Born again of the Spirit of God. To and by the blood of Jesus Christ. If that's you, and you've been saying, but, can I, can I share this story? I don't, I don't know why. This, this came up and Sarah and I were talking, we, we had discussed this earlier in the week. My, my granddad, my granddad that passed away back in 1983, he was, he was one of my heroes in life. He, he was, he was, he didn't have the education for it, but he was, he was a near mechanical genius. He could fix anything, he could design and build about anything he wanted to. But he had some struggles, he had some issues in life. He was, he was, he had addictions that he battled with, and that the major addiction was alcohol. I remember going to my grandma and grandpa's house when I was just a kid, and they used to do what the church called cottage prayer meetings. And we went into my grandparents' house there, and as we went into my grandparents' house and held a cottage prayer meeting, I can remember the pastor of the church kneeling down. My, my granddaddy loved gospel music. And he would sit there in his green swivel uh, rocker, and he would sit there and cry like a baby while the, the church folks were worshiping and song and praising God. And I remember the pastor going over and kneeling down in front of him, and he said, Mr. Thompson, he said, would you consider giving your heart to the Lord today? He said... He said, I would like to. He says, but I'm not ready right now. And he got up and he walked out of the room. And I believe personally he was ready. The Holy Spirit was breaking his heart. But he said, but I can't. I'm not ready. My granddad died not, you know, a while. It was a little while after that. My granddad died suddenly during the middle of the night. He got up to get a, a glass of water out of the kitchen and as he walked through the house, he collapsed and fell on the floor. They said he was probably dead when he hit the floor. Now I know God is gracious and God is just and God is merciful. And I hope my granddaddy had the chance to call on the Lord before that last breath left his body. But I don't know that he did. I can't say that he didn't, but I can't say that he did. It's something I may not ever know unless I meet Him in eternity. But here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. There is no but in your life that is so important that you can't get to God. There is no but in your life that is so important that you don't need to make some decisions for God this morning. 
Because there may come a time when the butts have consumed our life and we miss God altogether. So today, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're in this room and you need to be saved, I'm not going to pressure you. I'm not going to come get you and drag you out. But I want you to slip up your hand. Is there one person in this room who needs to be saved? Or you need to renew your experience with God through Christ Jesus? Is there one person in this room? I take it by the by the non-show of hands that everybody in this room is you're satisfied with where you're at with God. You're satisfied with your spiritual walk. You know where you're going to go when you die. And you're happy about it. Because it's going to be heaven. The presence of God. This is what I want you to do. I want as many of you will. I want you to join me down here around this altar area. And we're going to gather together and we're going to have prayer. And I want us to begin to decree and declare that we are not we are not going to walk in our butts any longer. We are going to say, God, I am not going to second guess you. I am not going to second guess myself in you. Will you join me this morning? Would you come? Let's pray.